JS TV is now on the air. Cosmos is all that is, or ever was, or ever will be. Our contemplations of the cosmos stir us. There's a tingling in the spine, a catch in the voice, a faint sensation as if a distant memory of falling from a great height. We know we are approaching the grandest of mysteries. The size and age of the cosmos are beyond ordinary human understanding. Lost somewhere between immensity and eternity is our tiny planetary home, the Earth. For the first time, we have the power to decide the fate of our planet and ourselves. This is a time of great danger, but our species is young and curious and brave. It shows much promise. In the last few millennia, we have made the most astonishing and unexpected discoveries about the cosmos and our place within it. I believe our future depends powerfully on how well we understand this cosmos in which we float like a mote of dust in the morning sky. We're about to begin a journey through the cosmos. We'll encounter galaxies and suns and planets, life and consciousness coming into being, evolving and perishing. Worlds of ice and stars of diamond, atoms as massive as suns and universes smaller than atoms. But it's also a story of our own planet and the plants and animals that share it with us. And it's a story about us how we achieved our present understanding of the cosmos, how the cosmos has shaped our evolution and our culture, and what our fate may be. We wish to pursue the truth no matter where it leads, but to find the truth, we need imagination and skepticism both. We will not be afraid to speculate, but we will be careful to distinguish speculation from fact. The cosmos is full beyond measure of elegant truths, of exquisite interrelationships, of the awesome machinery of nature. The surface of the Earth is the shore of the cosmic ocean. On this shore, we've learned most of what we know. Recently, we've waded a little way out, maybe ankle deep, and the water seems inviting. Some part of our being knows this is where we came from. We long to return. And we can't, because the cosmos is also within us. We're made of star stuff. We are a way for the cosmos to know itself. The journey for each of us begins here. We're going to explore the cosmos in a ship of the imagination, unfettered by ordinary limits on speed and size, drawn by the music of cosmic harmonies, it can take us anywhere in space and time. Perfect as a snowflake, organic as a dandelion seed, it will carry us to worlds of dreams and worlds of facts. Come with me. let kids know that illegal drugs are bad news. Yes, David, it's true. Over 100,000 teenagers were admitted into hospitals last year because of drugs. Yeah, but I'm talking about kids' futures. Did you know that marijuana can affect a person's physical and sexual growth? Yes, that's quite accurate. In a laboratory test, female animals treated with the active component in marijuana experienced a 44% death rate among their offspring. This is much more important than facts and figures. What kids should know is that marijuana has got more cancer-causing agents than tobacco, and a lot of young kids use drugs on a daily basis. Actually, Michael, the fact is that one in 18 high school seniors smokes marijuana daily, and then there are the occasional users which account Get for... Get this through your CPU. They don't care about statistics. 
You know you're right. I've got it. Just tell them illegal drugs are bad, so don't mess with them. Illegal drugs are bad news. Don't mess with them. Welcome back to Video West's Backstage Pass. unlikely candidate for superstardom, a space-age synthesist whose lyrics deal mainly with depression and alienation. Newman is a shy Britisher who'd rather be driving one of his two Corvettes than performing on stage. And it's very forced to run a stage and say, hello, wherever you are, I love you all, because you don't, you've never met them. You, you can only appreciate that they've come, you can only appreciate that they've bought the records. It, it, can, it can never be more than that, because you can't meet an audience, you can't. I mean, they're there, and you're, and you're there, so how can you talk to them? You can't have a conversation with 4,000 people. If Newman sounds slightly paranoid, that's only because he is. I spend most of my time inside. We're not today, which is unusual. title of the single that rocketed Newman from the safety of obscurity. After four albums, Gary Newman sees fame as something merely to be endured. When I first got famous, I didn't like it. Um, it was like sex, it takes getting used to, you have to learn new values for it, because it's, it's never what you expected. And they said that I was number one, they rang me up, and I went into the room and jumped up and down, and then sat down and watched the television, like I'd been doing before. Because nothing could change. There wasn't a, a big car outside. There wasn't money coming in suitcases to the door. Somebody just rang up and said you was number one, and nothing had changed. emerging synth-o-pop movement. It's a wonderful way to think about possibilities. It's a wonderful way to explore exotic politics. It's a wonderful way, it, it, it's, it's a freedom. It's a way of doing anything you want. There are all sorts of walls around other genres. Um, romances, mysteries, westerns. There are no real walls around science fiction. We can build them but um, they're not their natural life. Hustle on over here. When I was 12, I saw a terrible movie called Devil Girl from Mars, one of those sad 1950s movies. Um, the Martians had, uh, for some reason, lost all their men, so they'd come to Earth to get some more. And for some reason, in spite of the fact that the Martian women were beautiful, the Earth men didn't want to go. And I turned off the television and said to myself, I can write a better story than that. And from what I've heard, that's the way a great many people start writing, just the idea that what they're seeing is so awful, they can do better. I sat down and began writing my first science fiction story, which also turned out to be my first patternist story. My patternists are people um, 
a, a gathering of, of mutants, really. They're not extraterrestrial or anything, and they're not gathered for any particularly good purpose. They're gathered because um, a rather odious character is lonely and very long-lived, so he breeds them. He also eats them, in a sense. I think, really, a lot of my early writing had to do with my own feelings of powerlessness. So I dealt often with power, with what it did to people, what they did with it when they got it. And what I do in the Xenogenesis books is explain what that is. I have aliens who arrive and who um, are interested in us because they are natural genetic engineers. They are gene traders, as a matter of fact, but who tell us that we have this conflict within ourselves. All too often, our intelligence serves our, our hierarchical tendencies so that we tend to one-up ourselves to death. And I have all this going on after a nuclear war when we really have one-upped ourselves to death. Most of the world, from what little we know of it today, is scarred with strips of impassable land. The sea is run through with deadly currents. Toromon may be the only fragment that can hold life, for all we are sure of. Once man flew to the moon, even to the moving lights in the sky. There were many empires. Often they fought with one another, and that was called a war. This notion that um, war is something that makes the whole society pull together. War is something that turns boys into men. That was a, a, a view of war that uh, science fiction writers such as Heinlein uh, and Poole Anderson were very much enamored of. And when I looked around at what uh, was happening to the people that you saw coming back from Vietnam or going off to fight in Vietnam, this isn't what I saw. A small bead of light dropped from one of the airships. For five seconds, the sound came on, a concussive rumbling. A broken stud of burning masonry, the remains of the tower, flickered above the hem of buildings. Chaos roiled on the concourse. The news speaker grill began humming. Remain calm, citizens, remain it calm. It behooves the writer to realize that certain kinds of questions are going to be asked, like who wins. I'm Michael Jordan. McDonald's restaurants have given me this time to talk to you about something we both really care about. Kids. Kids are the reason McDonald's sponsors their Get It Straight program, a national drug awareness effort. Think about this. Many of you using drugs out there now are under 18. Do you realize that at 18, you have lived only one-fourth of your life? When you're using drugs, you're only cheating yourself out of the chance to find out who you really can be. And believe me, if you don't use drugs, you can just about be anything you want to be. Listen, you've got at least three-fourths of your life to go. That's three more lifetimes to you. So don't blow it. Don't do drugs. If you're doing it, stop it. Get some help. McDonald's wants you to give yourself a chance, a chance to find out all the wonderful things you really can be. And so do I. Gentlemen, and this, I think, uh, will appeal... We opened our show uh, the other day, and now again with what you call what is of the moment. I, I tell you all the time that I uh, deal in nostalgia, but I dabble greatly in what is of the moment. And the rock adherents out there, the rock addicts, would uh, love to be reminded that in such magazines as heavy, as Metal Mania, that uh, one of the facts of life is that a young man named King Diamond has sold so far, and he's from Denmark, 150,000 uh, albums, LPs, cassettes. He's a man with a very royal-sounding name, Keith, and that his name is uh, King Diamond. And King, can I shake your hand and say that it's, uh, Hello. it's a pleasure? And uh, so let me ask you, first of all, uh, uh, your uh, main market, I think, is in America, not even in Denmark, based on a few of my friends here who That's know your right. stuff, right? America's our main market, all and right. then... Germany, Holland, Belgium. Right. But Denmark is so tiny, we don't actually have a heavy metal scene there. Nothing like that, huh? No. Can I ask you, uh, when you were born, what name was on your birth certificate? Was it, was it King Diamond on the birth certificate? Yeah. You serious? Yeah. You believe that, Keith? No. <laughs> you don't? What do you say, Ed? 
Could be. Could and there's a policeman in the, from Irvington, New Jersey. He's the rapping policeman. He's going to make an album soon, too. So this is King Diamond. So, so uh, would you, if I went uh, to Denmark, would you show me around? Uh, sure, anytime. Where, where would you take? Where would you take Keith? We'll, we'll get around to music. And, where would you take Keith and Ed and me if we went? Copenhagen. Uh, yeah. through, through Copenhagen, right. Well, so, uh, you'd have to see The Little Mermaid. Right. You'd have to see Tivoli. Tivoli Gardens. That's an amusement. You might be King Joe, too. <laughs> How about uh, a performance of Hamlet? You could watch that at Kronborg, yeah, the old castle. Uh, right. Was he the, he was the prince of Denmark? He uh, was the prince of Denmark, yeah. And, and you're the king, you're the king of Denmark. Yeah, so he was not as much as me. May we ask you when you first became exposed, uh, a man who sold 150,000 albums quietly at low key, you know, low profile. When, when did you in your hometown or your home country become first uh, aware of and then... Uh, a fan of uh, rock and roll, King Diamond. I guess it was in 69 when I heard the first real raw guitar on an album. That's when I got really interested in, in the music business. But at that time I was playing soccer uh, on top level in Denmark. But finally I had to make my, I had to make a choice because I couldn't do both. I couldn't play a gig Saturday night and get up early Sunday morning and, and play soccer. He's so nice. I thought he was going to sit here and I thought he was going to scare us. He's such a nice... You, didn't, you, you left home to paint, the war paint, right? Yeah. <laughs> Why is it so incongruous, uh, my, my, my feeling about, about heavy metal in Denmark? I think of Denmark society as being so calm and tranquil and peaceful and the way you just said... It really is. Tivoli Gardens, but, but, but hard-hitting, driving, forceful, heavy metal... It's the only way to get out of aggressions. <laughs> really? Country. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, Keith? I do indeed. But they have it all over the world, though. They're, you know, all of these people are all over the world now, Joe. Which American musicians are in the, in the hot hundred on the charts, if any, in Denmark? Any American... Uh... Oh, yeah, lots of uh, hit middle uh, acts. Uh, Alice Cooper, Judas Priest, Ozzy Osbourne, they're all there. And King Diamond. Well, yeah, we're getting a... What are you doing in this country right now? Visiting a few of your friends or making arrangements? Uh, that as well, but mostly it's a promotion tour. Mm-hmm. Doing interviews and uh, radio stations, TV. Who's, who's famous from Denmark besides you? And besides who? Victor Borger, we got to mention. Oh, I was about to... Who else? Who else? Who, name him, some yeah. entertainers. Or, or uh, well, entertainers, not very many, actually. <laughs> Political figures? Uh, Schluter might be famous, but uh, I don't think he means very much over here. Mm-hmm. Is there a big difference, uh, Mr. Diamond, between uh, American rock and uh, Danish rock, or European the, rock, let's Yes, say. there is a difference. Uh, the American uh, seems to be more commercialized than the European style. The European style is like you have a... It's a raw sound that the European bands have got than the American bands. What King Diamond, mean? what do you have on your belt there? What is that? That is... Uh, Empty ammunition. Empty ammunition? Yeah. Oh. Joe, so I think he's misappropriated a few of I've, I've got a flight to Florida later on to oh, I see. Between, get rid of all those cockroaches. Between your ammunition and the fact that you're sitting alongside of the Irvington policeman, <laughs> the rapping uh, cop, we're, we're, we're secure, right? Yeah. Now, King Diamond's concept is so interesting, but it's, uh, it's, so, it's, it's so, what's the word, contradictory. Heavy metal rock music with classical uh, influences for discriminating audiences. It sounds, it sounds impossible to me, but, but how, do you, how do you make that happen? It, it's horror? Uh, you, you break the it down. The show, yeah. The, the lyrics uh, on the new album is one concept horror story from, one, from the beginning to the end. You know, it's never been done before in that way. And our show is very, very... Uh, there's a lot of things going on, and we really try to scare the audience. How many in the group? We're five people in the group. Oh. We've got two guitarists, a drummer. Let me do, let me do a little thing. bit of one of this man's records. I can only tell you that everybody says to me, Joe, you've got to meet King Diamond. He's got a retinue there of beautifully dressed people. And I'm sure that uh, they're, they're well, uh, well paid from your royalties, right? You're, oh, yes. You're supporting a lot of people. You know that? <laughs> I know that. A <laughs> <laughs> little bit of King Diamond and the new release or the current release. And it goes like this. And I'll say it again. A big, big seller at this time without his makeup. And not going to scare anybody. Just a touch <laughs> of King Diamond.
this forthcoming concept of yours here, one big horror story from beginning to end, how would, how would Stephen King's fans appreciate that uh, concept? I, I think they really like it. It's a very intriguing horror story. and uh, That's kind of a first in rock and roll, though, isn't it? It is. It's, uh, it's the first time that uh, somebody has made a concept album with a horror lyric to it. This man seems to be more athletic, Keith, than any athlete. Be, Based on his wild gyrations, he's more more than any athlete. With what he goes through. How do you how do you maintain that energy level? How do you keep it going like that, King, when you do those tours, those concerts? Huh? Well, uh, I try to sleep as much as possible during the tours to be able to perform in the right way. Ladies and but gentlemen, it's, it's definitely I can only way. say that I'm a fan of this young man from now on, and I can see why the excitement. What label? Roadrunner Records. And if I go over there, how, how, does, how, how does the American dollar do over there? Would you say the American dollar is uh, respected in Denmark? Does it? Uh, At the moment, it's like no. this. Back and forth, right? <laughs> yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to do a tape right now by... That was the scene in California's Mojave Desert five years ago. Our historic first view of the newcomer's ship. Theirs was a slave ship, carrying a quarter million beings bred to adapt and labor in any environment. But they've washed ashore on Earth with no way to get back to where they came from. And in the last five years, the newcomers have become the latest addition to the population of Los Angeles. and especially old school friends and make arrangements to do an encephalographic polygraph scan. Mr. Wall. Yes, Captain. I need to speak with you. You are dismissed. Please get your reports to me as soon as possible. understand. 500 years ago, military officers would upend a drum on the battlefield. They'd sit at it and dispense summary justice. Decisions were quick, punishments severe, appeals denied. Those who came to a drumhead were doomed. But we know there is a traitor here. Jadan has admitted his guilt. That's true, and he will stand for his crime. Tarsus has all but done the same. How? He refused to answer the question about his Romulan grandfather. That is not a crime, Worf. Nor can we infer his guilt because he didn't respond. Sir, if a man were not afraid of the truth, he would answer. Oh, no. We cannot allow ourselves to think that. The seventh guarantee is one of the most important rights granted by the Federation. We cannot take a fundamental principle of the Constitution and turn it against a citizen. Sir, the Federation does have enemies. We must seek them out. Oh, yes. That's how it starts. But the road from legitimate suspicion to rampant paranoia is very much shorter than we think. Something is wrong here, Mr. Wolf. I don't like what we have become.
get angry just thinking about it makes me mad. Little kids doing drugs, it turns my stomach. That stuff hurts. It stops you from living up to your potential. It holds you back. It hurts the user. It hurts his family. And it hurts his friends. I just want to shake some sense into you kids that are using drugs and think about using it. So remember, don't or else. Okay? Hier bin ich jetzt mit Trey von Morbid Angel auf dem Weg dorthin, wo noch nie ein europäisches Kamerateam war. Trey, this place is not too far away from your backyard and it's the swamp, right? And we are going to dig into the swamp. Tell us, where are we going? Well, actually, we're going to go and search for where the slime actually live and they live right behind my house. And, um, yeah, you have a mosquito spray here. That means we are facing a lot of mosquitoes. Yes, mosquitoes, horse flies, uh, banana spiders, all kinds of nice little critters out here, right out of Dungeons and Dragons, like the insect swarm, swarm spell. That's, this is a living proof of what that's all about. All right, this is the perfect uh, environment for um, choosing some metal video clips, talking about a new record is on the way and stuff. So we're gonna walk into the whole thing and you're gonna start with a video from a Polish band, right? Yeah, I'd love to see the video for uh, Vader called Dark Age. Yeah, we're planning on uh, doing a record real soon, getting all the material together. And um, right now it's me and Pete Sandoval. Mm -hmm. Pete's the drummer. He's been with us for since um, right. Ultras of Madness. And uh, since David's left, I got a new vocalist. His name's Steve Tucker. He's from uh, Cincinnati, Ohio. And he also plays bass. And he's um, younger than us, so we got some fresh talent. He's going to get up on stage and just go sick and just be a you know a total monster. And um, the new album's formula is Fatal to the Flesh basically a uh, very brutal album lots of speed just a few slow things uh, four down tune songs on the Ibanez 7 string a mm -hmm. um, couple swamp riffs thrown in but lots of blast just because Pete man he is just ready to show everybody his his magical powers now Trey what is this place the water is all red and stuff how come Well, this is actually part of the great um, Cypress Creek, and um, it's a real low area. You know, all the water runs off and fills these areas. It just gets real high. Uh, basically, the cypress tree dyes the um, water this kind of bloodish red color, and alligators like to move up and down this from um, lake to lake and stuff. And, like, you know, down in areas like that, man, you definitely could find water moccasins just in there, just, just you know, cuddling together, waiting for someone to uh, put their foot in there. So to speak, uh, cross-sound traffic of reptiles in here. And we're coming to the next video talking about cross-sound traffic. Yes, we're going to check out some Jimi Hendrix, one of my main men, cross-town traffic. So that means that um, you pretty much wrote the lyrics too, because um, yeah. the um, topics of the lyrics on the last record, a nomination, um, They, they went a little away from occultism and the stuff you were talking about on previous records. That's right. So is, is that because uh, David wrote more of the lyrics on that record? Yes, David wrote all the lyrics mm -hmm. on that record. And most of the lyrics on Covenant. And um, it's funny because in Domination, he came in the studio writing lyrics. At the last minute, David was scratching down lyrics. And it's like, I didn't even get to preview them. You know, I told them that I wanted the band to stay what it was always, like on Ultras of Madness. The lyrics I wrote were very occult very right. spiritual the true meaning of satanism which to me the true meaning of satanism is nothing more than the means to tear down the old limiting beliefs period it's not something to establish new beliefs because see satan is nothing more than something that destroys in my opinion it's just my opinion we all have our own The occult is like read a bunch of books, you know, listen, learn, and then piece together your own belief. What serves you? A belief has to serve you. If a belief does not serve you, it's useless and meaningless. It's not just because it's cool. It's not just because other people can hold it and say there's power in it. If it does not give you power, if you do not get something out of this belief, it's meaningless. 
Habt ihr ihn gesehen, den Kollegen da hinten? Das kann ziemlich nasty werden, wenn der einen beißt. Äh, überhaupt, alles, was ihr hier seht, Schweißtropfen, ist echt. Trey, your sweat is real. I mean, this is no setting here. It's like the Predator movie, right? Yeah, it really is, man. It's real muggy, humid. You know, mosquitoes just constantly swarming around. Sweat just, just, just penetrating out of our skin, basically. What kind of spider is this? That's a banana spider. And what they like to do, that one's kind of in a little weird environment there. Usually along the trail, they'll like spread their web right about face level. They, it's really convenient how they do that. But they'll have the web like that and you'll be walking along, you know, da 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 And all of a sudden you'll have this thing on your face just like that and it'll be in your hair biting you. And it's not like the Black Widow, which is another one of our Florida spiders. His poison's not quite so deadly, but it will definitely leave big welts. And if it bites your eye, you know, it might go blind. <laughs> this is definitely where the slime lives. That's right. right. Morbid angel, where the slime lives. It's like spiritually, you're going back to where the band started, basically. Um, is it that you're going back musically to where the band started? Because Entangling Chaos, the live record, was somehow hinting um, that you're going back to Altars of Madness times instead of being becoming more industrial, like. There were some hints on domination. Oh, there would be nothing industrial. I, so I personally don't like. Thing, pretty much. He he was really into the industrial stuff. Um, the sound of domination is so sterile it pisses me off. The drums are too sampled. That the, there's a metronome and the timings are too perfect, and um, it misses the living feel. Mm -hmm. You know, there's this thing about digital and analog. Digital is dead. Analog is alive. Now it's just bands, they just talk about whatever, and kids are singing these disdainful words because they're cool, but it's not real. There's, nothing, there's no substance there. Like uh, bands that, you know, promote um, sticking dildos in their ass or something like that. What's, what's that? Is, that? is that culture? Is that today's culture? I think that's crap. I think that is, that's stagnation. So, das hinter uns ist jetzt hier wirklich 1A-Sumpf, kann man sich prima vorstellen so eine Hand noch rausguckt und uh, der Mensch dann verschwindet. Trey, this is a state-of-the-art swamp here. You could imagine somebody trailing with his bike on the thing, falling down, getting swallowed. Yeah, this is our little um, bike trail. And this is definitely, um, how can I say it? If you lose it here, you are definitely in a world of hurt. What's beneath there? Uh, sludge. Definitely some sludge riffing, a little slime, a little mancubus. Uh, maybe a few alligators. They definitely like to move around in this stuff. You know, unfortunately, they're not here, you know, on time for us, like maybe a subway. But also we get boars, you know, wild hogs. They like to root and stuff through there. And um, we could only hope that there was a piranha in there, but I don't think there is. Did you fall in once while biking here? Uh, no, actually, I haven't. But I, I, there was a friend of mine. That, that came up a little bit further down there, hit a jump and was into a cross-up. When he landed, see the leaves down here, very slick, and he went And he, he broke his arm, but, you know, luckily there was no alligator down there because this is definitely a place where they love to be. You wouldn't need to worry about his broken arm anymore. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right, next video coming up, which is? Yeah, we're going to do the uh, Entombed, The Night of the Vampire. How does it feel for you looking back when um, Dave's stuff he said in interviews about, I don't know, you, you know what was going on, which was totally yeah. uh, taking the attention of the people um, from what the band was about really to people saying just, okay, this is a fascist band more or less. So um, how, did, how did it feel for you that the whole band was endangered by um, his beliefs and the stuff he said? Well, I was pretty infuriated. Like from that first Covenant tour when he came back, because he went over there by himself, you know. Um, I was kind of more interested in just guitar, and I was like, how can I say, um, I'm not the most um, social-like kind of guy. You know, mm -hmm. I don't like to really go out and talk. I'm not in the band for that. I'm in the band because I love the art and the music. It's everything, you know. So David was really good around people, talking. And when I found out that he went over there and spread some stupid, um, how can I, you know, drew some false image of the band, basically. You know, I was really infuriated because I never had such views like that. Do you have the feeling that
Dave abused the band and with the band, you personally, in a way? Well, no, I'd have to say equally it's my ignorance. And I don't mean stupidity, I just mean ignoring. And that's what ignorance means. I ignored or I kind of just stayed in my guitar playing and just didn't really watch over him because I figured to me the meaning of a band is a group of individuals all moving in the same direction. I should have known the Terrator didn't mean us any harm when the Sword of Omens didn't obey me. And anyway, it was just plain stupid to assume it might be bad. Just what the fuck am I talking about? I want to see your tits, my dear. Motherfucker! Get fucking dog, yeah! Shut the fuck up! Get over here, bitch. Ah, damn! Run out the fucking plate, boys! Come here, motherfucker. You, you gotta snap out of it, Lion-O! Shut up, you fuck. And keep your foot off that blasted flange. What the fuck is a flange? I have to do that again. Oh, Lionel! We're not... <coughs> What's the matter, Snarf? You got a cold. <laughs> it's when Wiley Cat and Kid are pretending to be the most helpful that they're dropping their pens on the thing? While I'm talking, let's find the mega condenser. I'm saying that too fast. Let's find the mega condenser. Still going too fast. What's wrong, Lion-O? <laughs> oh, fuck, here it is again. <laughs> what? What's here again? That thing, that, that mega thing. Want me to say it? Yes. I'm going to put this one right between her pretty. <laughs> <laughs> That's the line of the show right here. Statistics show that 40% of all kids who smoke marijuana live in the city. Guess where the other 60% live? No question about it, Storm. The government is having trouble with its budget, but you might end up having a little trouble with yours. When you see the price tags on this year's hottest Christmas toys, Maxine Block says the people who make electronic games smile when they look at their bank books. These games may very well be at the top of many Christmas lists. Electronic games being heralded by folks in the trade as this year's holiday bestseller. There are so many of these games available that it's difficult to know which ones to buy. And that's why toy manufacturers are spending millions of dollars in advertising. Mission, find the three keys, lay siege to the tower, and defeat the enemy within. In this battery-operated game, the player uses electronic sounds as clues to get through the maze and steal the treasure. It's being called this year's hot item. I think the uh, hottest item uh, makers are the TV commercials. There's no question about it. The children watch them, and, uh, the, and the people know it. The manufacturers know it, and they know what times to put the TV commercials on. And uh, they, they just, uh, the kids know. Electronic handheld games like this one are also very hot items this time of year. What makes them so popular? Well, the buyers here say the kids like to see the action and the color, and they love hearing the noise. Then there are the electronic video games. You hook them up to your TV set. They're expensive, top price nearly $300. But those who sell them say that it's a very good investment. I remember when I was a kid, my father would buy a game for the family, and we'd play it. And back then, it was a, it was usually the most expensive game that was that was purchased for us. Now, of course, uh, times being at the and the things being that they are, uh, the family game is now turned into and around the TV set. It seems, and this is an ideal gift. Everyone can play it. Everyone can get involved. The problem may be too involved. Some argue that players get so hypnotized by these games that they have little time for anything else. I have mixed emotions. Uh, I've been looking at the Intellivision and the Atari over there. I have young kids and uh, I've been thinking about eye-hand coordination and things like that, developing those. But then I've been reading in the paper and seeing on TV the articles of the parents groups that are against them. And uh, we're thinking it over, looking for a Christmas gift, something useful. Why are parents against them? They say that, I, I think a lot of the parents say that they're, especially in the arcade parlors, that they're uh, occupying too much of the kids' time, taking their lunch money, 
things like that. I... They're kind of expensive. Do you have one? Yeah. Who bought it for you? My mother. Did she say it was a big sacrifice? Yeah. How many hours do you play it? I don't know, six or seven. A day? Well, you heard right, and that's a lot of time playing a game. It might be wise to limit playing time. And while we're on the subject, you may wonder how much time you have before these electronic games are sold out. Well, we visited several stores, and they say they're fully stocked for Christmas. They may even have a few left over if you want to buy them after Christmas. We are back. We are talking about the New York nightlife scene, which is wild. Some of the hottest fashion statements now show up on the dance floor long before they hit the fashion runways. And some of these looks were recently seen at the second annual Style Summit, the world's only nightlife convention, which featured outrageous trends in fashion and in music. And now to introduce the new looks is one of the New York clubs, New York club kids, right? Personality. Personality. <laughs> Hello. Yeah. Richie Rich. Hello. Hello. How you doing? What is a club, a club kid 90s? Okay, um, a club kid is all about just being free with yourself and expressing yourself. And the clubs really are an outlet, like a vehicle to live your dreams. And um, some people are really ambitious. Others just live for themselves in the, in the moment and in the club. And club kids are really anything they want to be. That's what's so great about it. It's all up for grabs. How old are they, the average um, age? The average age, I'd say, oh gosh, <laughs> between 18 and 38. <laughs> but, but, how do you all, do you all have day jobs? Um, this stuff costs money. Yeah, bangles do add up, but it's like, yes. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but it's just like anything. It's like some people, they live to eat. Others people, other people live to fulfill what they want. So yeah. it's like, um, it is costly, but there's everything from bank tellers, retail people. And, and they all meet at night. Oh, yeah. And yes. you're going to show us some of the most outrageous and wonderful costumes. Oh, concerts. yes. The will best you start right now? Okay. I sure will. Who is it? First, we have Kide. Kide is a New York native, and he's a costume designer. He's a fabulous club personality. Kide does makeup, and he makes all his own creations and never wears the same outfit twice. Never wear the same outfit twice. Never. <laughs> Next. Next is... Now we have the gorgeous Amanda Lepore. She's a walking Vanity Fair cover. Amanda spends her days shopping, and she basically just puts on her jewels at night and goes out and lives everybody's dreams. She's stunning, and she's a makeup artist and a movie actress. All right. Thank you, Amanda. Gorgeous. And now we have Walt Paper. Walt Paper is from this Norfolk. Is, this is Walt Paper. Walt Paper. He's from Norfolk, Virginia, but now he's a Chelsea girl in New York. He's a member of the fabulous House of Fields. Walt's a performance artist and a painter, and he's fabulous, as you can tell. Yes. Now, does he make his own clothes? Oh, yes. And he also has people make them for him. Right. Okay. They look great. A lot of attitude there. Now we have Auntie Tobel. Tobel is a Southern Belle originally from Mississippi. She moved here um, this year for the Style Summit. She's an up-and-coming fashion designer and makes everything she wears. Now, who are men and who are women? Um, it's all a blur at this point. It's, okay. it's you know? But there's I, a little of each in there, I promise you. Okay, I thought... <laughs> and next... And now we have Kabuki Starshine. Kabuki... Kabuki's can be now seen in George Michael's new video, Killer Papa, and B-52 videos. Kabuki's an illustrator originally from England. He's a makeup artist and makes everything he wears. Just Amazing. Uh, now, how long does an outfit like this take Kabuki to get into it? Four hours. Well, it certainly is worth it. And every piece of glitter is worth it. It's amazing. Just Gorgeous. Now we have Shelly Baum. She travels around from Japan to California, everywhere, making her own clothes. She has a clothing line called Peace Bomb. She came here this year to do a fashion show at our Style Summit, which was a sensation. All right, Shelly. Yeah, very good. Let me ask you. Yeah. How do these people get cabs to bring them? A lot of times they just pass me by, and then yeah. and then they. Do you have trouble getting cabs? Yeah, at night a lot and of times like they say, "Do you have any money?" And I say, "Oh, yes, yes, yes." And other times people pick you up, and I'll say, "That last cab driver, he just passed me right by," and he said, "But you are what New York is about," and yeah. he gets a better tip. Of course. Now all of you look sensational. May I ask each one of you? Um, and uh, let me come over to you. Uh, how much do your outfits cost? How much did your outfit cost total? The wig and everything. Um, basically, it was costing me nothing because I made the old fabric and everything. We already had it laying around, so nothing. Okay. All right. 
Well, I don't know how much it costs. I'm, I made it all myself. Two mount all the beads and the, the fabric. I can't even tell you how much. Oh, my God. I mean, it doesn't stop. Hello. <laughs> the nose ring I didn't see from where I was. All right. It cost me time. Yeah. Very much time. Well, basically only that, though, because I make, I construct everything myself. Just wonderful. Everything is so magic. Your hair is braided with gold running through it. Yes, tell me. Um, I made it myself, so it probably costs, I don't know, $400. And your hair? How long to get your hair together? Um, about three and a half hours. Do you wash it out at night, or do you go to sleep if you're tired and do it the next morning? Always wash it out. I would think so. Okay. And what about you? This is great. Um, it depends on who I have to make my clothes, if I have someone make them. Or, I mean, we do a lot of styling at Pat Field, so, you know, of course, I get a lot of it free since I work there. I see so far two nose rings. Is this a trend? Should I be out buying one of Barney's? <laughs> <laughs> Hi, um, well, I made my skirt out of a rim divider, and these are made out of feather dusters. So none of that's really very expensive. So, in other words, anybody could do this and look wonderful. It just takes imagination and time and just freedom of spirit. Well, you all have great spirit. I thank you so much. And I thank you for fabulous. Just fabulous. Last thing, Michael, what's the next trend that we're going to see? Quick. Um, it's going to be beyond techno music. It's just going raw or more industrial crazy. Just crazier and crazier. Tribal, tribal music. Tribal music will be yeah. the next trend. Right, thank you all very much. Thank you. Thank you. Remember, let me in. See you guys oh. very soon. And we will be right back with more gossip, this time on Ted Dance. Remember million New Yorkers every day. There isn't much choice but the subway. Most of us don't take limousines. We can't even afford to take taxis all over the place. Buses? In New York, buses take forever. But for better or worse, that leaves us on the trains for an hour, two hours every day. So you'd think New Yorkers would be great experts on the subway. Forget about it. Most people know their line. They know their regular stations. They know where they get on and off. And that's about it. It's almost impossible to become an expert on the whole subway system. It's amazingly huge. 25 lines, 6,334 cars, 312,000 advertising posters, 3,500 cops, 720 miles of track, 6,000 trips a day. And at Transit Authority headquarters in downtown Brooklyn, 63 vice presidents. What do they all do? No one knows. There are lots of misconceptions about the subway. Crime, for one thing. You know what's the most dangerous time to be on the subway? Middle of the night, right? Wrong. There is more crime, and I'm talking about violent, serious crime between two and four in the afternoon than at any other time. That's just when the kids are getting out of school. There are more subway criminals than ever before, and they're getting younger and younger every year. No one has any reliable idea of how many homeless people and panhandlers are on the subway. But some stations and some lines certainly have more than their share. Most people think immediately of Grand Central but the cops have been cracking down there lately. That has sent people scattering. The E-Train probably has more homeless people than any other line, and especially on cold days. The reason? It never goes above ground, so the warmth stays in the cars. The thing to remember about panhandlers is they always prefer trains where the doors open between cars. That makes the IND lines a bad bet. The doors on those trains are kept locked. So to move from car to car, you have to wait till the train stops, get out, and race up to the next car. That's bad for business. 
New York panhandlers are no dummies. They know this, and they choose their trains accordingly. Can I help, please? Any kind of help? Panhandling's pretty tough when a train's this crowded. And at rush hour, all the trains are packed. The most crowded train, the absolute sardine train, is the Lexington Avenue line on the east side of Manhattan. The absolute busiest platform is at Grand Central on the 4, 5, and 6 at precisely 5.30 in the afternoon. Keep your hands by your side, please, and don't breathe too deeply. Written for the subway It's just another train crowded are the ghost stations. A handful of these abandoned stations are scattered around the system. Dark, graffiti-covered, looking so forlorn. They don't fit into the Transit Authority's current plans. A few years ago, the TA tried to figure out some way to make money from the ghost stations. One idea was to use the old stations as nightclubs or discotheques. But no one could ever figure out how to deal with the danger of trains barreling through all night at 30 or 40 miles an hour. Ghost stations aren't the only creepy thing in the subway. Have you ever been inside a subway bathroom? Recently, the Transit Authority was boasting about the public toilets in the subway. 105 stations, they say, now have public restrooms. Well, it turns out that most of them are still chained shut, just like this one. If you want my advice, you'll go before you leave home. Just when you think things can't get any weirder, you walk past the sign that sends shivers down your spine. My God, what goes on in the ejector room? Ejector rooms and ghost stations, they're subway oddities. But in a sense, that's what the subway is all about. Millions of people, millions of bizarre, tiny facts, all living together in uneasy bands. Sunday at 8, 7 Central and Mountain, all-new Guinness Excitement. Stuntwoman Kitty O'Neill leaps 175 feet without a parachute. Twelve men walk on a plane. A jump into a pool of poisonous rattlesnakes and more. Then... We're a team. Some are more equal than others. The Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders are back in an all-new movie where the action is hotter off the field and on for the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders, too. Uh, tell us about ex tell us about ecstasy. Um, well, what do you want to know about it? So, what, it's what is it, pill. and who takes it? <laughs> um, it's a pill, and everybody takes it. <laughs> and and what does it? What is it Ill illegal? Um, no, it's perfectly legal. <laughs> of course, it's of course it's illegal. So, but it's widely available. Well, you know, as much as anything else is. And you gave one to your mom. I gave some to my mother. <laughs> and mom's here, mom. <laughs> Elky, yes. what happened when uh, when Michael did that? It was a headache pill. <laughs> you thought it was a headache pill? Yes. And how did you feel after you took this? I got rid of my headache. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to fifteen fifteen. The aptly named rapper Big Punisher weighs in at more than three hundred pounds, but there's even more to the man that first meets the eye. As Serena Altschul found out during a recent road trip. She's out in the middle of Times Square right now. Serena? Thanks a lot, Kurt. It's about 30 minutes by subway from here in Times Square to Big Punisher's Bronx neighborhood, where he forged his sophisticated hardcore. But as he told me in South Carolina, it was a childhood accident in a city playground that helped forge his king-size stature. Now he's the reigning champ as the first Latino rapper to go platinum. I'm 300 plus pounds, and I'm say, I have the sexiest song in the world right now, so. One of the lines that made this song so famous is when I go Boricua, Morena, and what Boricua means Puerto Rican and black woman. That's like my love to the music, you know? My love to the, thank you to the black people for accepting Boricua. Big Punisher's mega hit, still not a player, from his critically acclaimed debut, Capital Punishment, 
rocketed him to stardom, led to his first solo tour, and earned this hip-hop heavyweight a platinum plaque. What has prepared you over the years for this, for now, for platinum? I'm the first Latino soloist right. in hip-hop to ever get a platinum plaque. And that's especially because, you know, we love hip-hop. Yeah. You know, and, and, and as kids, we need somebody to look to to, to strive further. I mean, if I want to play football and there's a Puerto Rican that's good at football, I'm going to try harder, you know, to do what he did. Pun himself was inspired by fellow Latino rapper Fat Joe. Their bond is strengthened by Latin pride and mutual admiration. Pun is incredible. You know, he's just simply a genius. You know, I executive produce him. I also manage him, um, discovered him. You know, I love it. You know, it seems like, you know, all our work efforts paid off. But Big Punisher wasn't always as serious about rapping, nor was he always as big. I was into a lot of sports. I was, I was like this. I was pretty fit. I was ashamed at the time, so I was in sports things. Mm -hmm. My friends, they were really rapping. Like, Triple Saints was like, he was really the captain of the team. At that time, I think he was just like cock diesel. Yeah. <laughs> For real, like, just solid. I know he was a football player at first. But things changed when Pun was 18. He finally won a lawsuit against the city of New York for an accident he had as a child in a city playground. And for the first time in his life, he had money. And for Pun, more money, more problems. I, mean, I was trying to do nothing. I was driving around all day, but still eating the way I, I was an athlete. Right. And I work all day, so I would eat a lot of that. So I kept this appetite, so but now, now I'm not working no more. Now I'm same appetite, but I'm in my car all day, you know what I mean? Before you know, I stopped blowing up, blowing up, blowing up. Mm -hmm. Before you know, that was 17,000 pounds. In recent weeks, there have been reports that Pun has appeared exhausted and taxed on stage and that he was ordered by his doctor to rest. It was a rumor. I missed the one show. The label didn't want to get in trouble. So they told me, yeah, Pun's tired, he's saying this and that. I said, don't tell him that because it was an hour. Before you know it, I'm exhausted. I had a heart attack. I mean, I was All dying. Yeah, I was like, oh, man. We do more shows than anybody. Well, he does play a short set and has to catch his breath between songs, but he never sells his fans short, reminiscent of another extra-large charmer. I mean, I heard people compare me to Biggie a lot. I understand that because we're both big guys, and we both rhyme about the, the girls and the hardcore, right. and we do it well. Don't stop. Though he has been married for nine years, and despite what his lyrics say, he is still a player. I'm just a romantic in general, and right. I think just nasty anyway, you know what I mean? So, married don't mean dead, you still do your thing. It just means that you understand each other even more right. and do more things than other people do, you know? It ain't over, you know what I'm saying? It's still longer. Do you consider yourself a family guy? You have kids. Yeah, yeah, we're all family oriented here in terms of part. We have children, but that's most important to us, you know? Mm -hmm. But we're still men. Right. Hey, kitties, gather round. The man with the goodies is here. Here's a little beauty for me to Udy. Just inhale and sniff at his aeroplane glue. Oh, one whiff, man. And Isn't you... it true that sniffing glue can damage your liver and kidneys? Cool it, kid. Looky. Amphetamines, bennies, dexies, meth. They say amphetamines can cause something like schizophrenia. Schizophrenia. In most cases, it does not last. Cool it, kid. Now for the bobs. Neato, nice, easy downers. Withdrawal from barbiturates can cause convulsions. Well, you convulse yourself out of here? Grass. Anything wrong with pot? They're not sure yet. They just started studying about it. Worry wart. Dig, everybody. L. S.D. Bad trips and a chance of chromosome damage. How do you know you got Everything chromosomes? Everything you got there can hurt you, can't it? Sure, kid. Why do you think they call it dope? Hey, where's everybody going? Hello, is this 1976 Psych? I was in the dark until I called 1976 Psych. Now I know my past, present, and my future. You can too. Call 1976 Psych. And that concludes our broadcasting day. Till next time. Watch JSTV as. It 
watches you.